Okay, don't be seated. Stand up for a minute, would you? Okay, just stay standing. Don't be so fast. So I want you to repeat after me. We are his church. Build your kingdom here. That's what we want him to do in us, and that's what we're going to learn about today is what we at Twin Cities Church get to do to be a part of building his kingdom. Now you can have a seat. That'd be great. Awesome. So I'm just so glad that you're here today, and, and I do want to change the atmosphere just a little bit from where we just were. And um, I was just trying to figure out how we would do this today, and it just seemed like right now would be the logical place. And I'm just going to bring us down a little bit to reality. This week, our newscasts were filled with images as 21 Christians speaking the name of Jesus were beheaded. They lost their lives. I just want to take today, just for a moment right now, just have a memorial moment, somber moment, where we think about that reflect on it, what that means for our world, and what that means for us. So I invite you to turn your attention to the screens, and let's just watch this to draw us into exactly what happened and a biblical perspective. It is a very dangerous time to be a Christian torture, beheadings, destruction. Here was the of highest level of persecution of Christians. A church congregation barricading themselves in from hundreds of riot police. Christians are enduring attacks for their faith like Along never with the before. savage kidnappings of Christian schoolgirls in Nigeria by Boko Haram and the burning of Christian Images churches. of violence dominate headlines. Christians are being warned to have a choice. Convert to Islam, pay a very steep price. Or face death. Chilling new video showing the beheading of 21 Egyptian Christians. Beheadings of 21 Christians. 21 Christian men beheaded by Islamic State. The title of the video is a message signed with blood to the nation of we the cross. The, the sharpest jump in violent uh, attacks against Christians. We need to make the persecuted church an issue of prayer. sit in a little bit, settle in. So 
as I was reading about this this week, I was blown away that the reason that these 21 men were killed um, that was given by their captors is that they believed in the illusion of the cross. The illusion of the cross. And so what we saw and we have been given witness to is not people killing people. But what we saw and gave witness to were Islamist radicals, people, killing Christian people because of their faith, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And folks, today I just want to offer a time of prayer now that we can pray for the families of these men. But these men just represent thousands of people who are being killed because they wear the banner of Jesus, being displaced, being persecuted, being raped, losing their homes, losing their livelihood all over our world, not just in Libya. So let's pray. God, as we come now, I guess the first thing we'd realize is we're not surprised. Jesus told us that in this world that we would be persecuted, that the world would hate us as it hated you, and that he said that some would give their lives because they wore the banner of the cross. And Father, I, I know that that just seems so far away for most of us. And yet, it, it could be our reality someday. And so I pray today, God, that you would help us to remember that even though that is a possibility, that even though death may be possible, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We can claim your power, we can claim your presence, and that you can give each one of us, if we were in that place, the strength and the courage, just like you gave those 21 men, to be proclaiming the name of Jesus even to death. Father, we grieve with those who are grieving and hurt today, and I just pray that you would help us not to remember as one of my friends, she has posted all 21 names on the refrigerator of her home so her children can see them and so that they can pray and that they can be reminded of what has happened. And Lord, I know that Jesus said that we should pray for our enemies and so out of faith and obedience, we pray and we ask for redemption. We ask, dear Jesus, that that same grace that we just sang about would be realized by evil men and women who are carrying out deeds against the cross that we can't even imagine. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their drawing into the kingdom of God. And Lord, we also, at the same time, we pray for your judgment. We pray that your judgment would come and that we know that there will be a day when every man and woman stands before a holy God to be judged by their deeds. And Father, we pray and each one of us, we want to make sure that our hearts are right with you. We want to be about helping others to know grace and experiencing your love. 
so that we can be part of building a kingdom where people honor you. And we just thank you, God. We just, I, I thank you for this memory, that, or this reminder we've had this week for me, and I don't mean to make light of that even by saying that, that life is precious and that evil abounds, but the spirit abounds even more. Help us to be about loving people as we've loved God first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, that's very sobering. And yeah, I, I think that it can just help us to be even more on edge and even have more of an ear to hear today as we listen to what God says to us as his church here in Western Nevada County called Twin Cities. And so we're in this series that we've been in on uh, Engage. In fact, I want to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes now out of your program and that you can follow along and um, you can open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 if you want to. We're going to end and land this plane there today um, when we get to that place. But we're talking about how when we engage in what God has called us to, that that engagement can lead us and propel us forward to being and becoming all that Jesus promised when he said that he came to give a life in all its fullest. So let me just kind of give you an idea of how I got to where I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, several months ago, that I was visiting with one of our key leaders, and he was expressing to me what he thought was what he felt was some angst over our church, and uh, basically, uh, he was leading a team, and that team was lacking the volunteers and leaders that it needed to be able to serve at its best. He had a passion for his team, and he wanted to see his team serve at the at its best. And he said this to me: He says, "We need more people to engage." We need more people to engage in what we're doing. Now, I kept that in mind, and I you know, really listened to what he had to say. And then uh, this summer, our pastors, every summer we go away uh, for a retreat, away from the office, that is, so that we can just kind of sequester ourselves and uh, just get away from the normal things of life and ministry and even families, and we listen to God. And we you know, talk about... Uh, the things of our church. And what was amazing to me as we got to the gather and we kind of settled down in this living room that we were going to be in for the next few days, we, we usually do a check-in about how things are going with family and life and ministry. And as we were checking in, that same phrase immediately came up. And here was the phrase again, we need more people to engage in what God is leading us to accomplish. And so I'm like, okay, well, man, I need to listen to what God's saying here. That somehow maybe then the way that we've led the church hasn't led the church to the place where people realize that they're responsible for the church in some way. And so we need to think through what that means. But the second thing that came up and seemed to be, you know, rising to the top, you know, of things that we felt that God would want us to address in the coming year is we talked about what seemed to be a need in our church to help people to move forward in their next steps of spiritual growth or transformation to be like Jesus. 
And so we ended up, you know, going to Ephesians chapter 4, and we've covered Ephesians chapter 4 in this series. If you want to go back to the message where we did that, you can do that. Uh, But in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that God has gifted the church, and he's given the church pastors and leaders and teachers. And then he says, so that they can equip his people for ministry. And as we did that together, it was as if we were hearing God saying, uh, I want you as pastors to engage and equip my people so that together you can engage in my kingdom, building my kingdom right here in this place and then as it ripples out around the world so that people can be transformed to become like my son. So out of that, you know, kind of gave the whole theme for this year is that we're talking about engaging for transformation, engaging for transformation, that each one of us would say that we would engage and be involved in what God's doing so that we can be transformed to be like Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the basics of our church. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about engaging in our purpose or our vision And if you're a guest today, you're going, oh my, why am I here today? And I just want to say, it's an awesome day to be here. I want to welcome you. And and I just want to encourage you that this is a great day to be here to hear about this church. Because we're going to kind of pull the curtains back a little bit and let you know what Twin Cities Church is all about. You're going to hear what our church is doing. And you're going to hear how you can find a place where you can participate and you can belong. Okay, so this began right at the top of your message notes. There's our mission statement. And I tweaked it just a little for this year and this series. And uh, by changing one word and adding a couple. But here it is at the top. It says, we are engaging together to lead as many people as possible into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing. So I'm going to ask if you would to read this out loud with me. Okay, ready, go. We are engaging together to lead as many people as possible into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how are we doing that? So let's just go back to day one when our church began 23 years ago as we began with these two next phrases as our marching orders. They're called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. These are Jesus' words. He spoke them. First, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the Great Commandment. That's what he's called us to be about, is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then right before he went to heaven, he gave us the Great Commission, And he said this, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And so from these two statements of Jesus Christ, as we look into them, they give us our marching orders as a church, give us the the emphases that we're going to push and promote and to move towards. I want to list those for you, okay? We just write those down on your notes. If you've been around here a long time, you're going to know these uh, as I go through them. But we are engaging, so it says that we are engaging to lead as many people as possible to worship, to worship, and I would just add, and to glorify God, to worship and glorify God. 
So that's the first thing that God has called us to do. Jesus said you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is worship, worshiping him. Second, we said that we would be helping people to connect to Jesus and to his church. Jesus said that you would go into all the world and you would make disciples. So a disciple is someone who wasn't a disciple who now becomes a disciple. Someone who wasn't following Jesus who now follows Jesus. Someone who hadn't confessed Jesus as their forgiver and leader, redeemer of their lives. And now they confess him as that. And then they move into relationship with him and then his church. So Jesus gave the church so that the disciples could come together so that they could be about his mission, those who have said yes to him. Number three, we grow to become like Jesus. We grow to become like Jesus. He says we would baptize them and we would teach these new disciples, teach them to obey all the commands. And so as Jesus was perfect and obeyed all the commands, and he said, this is what I want you to produce is people who ultimately obey me and live in relationship and look like me. Four, we serve Jesus in ministry. We serve him in ministry. So he's called us to be about the business of building his kingdom. And he wants us to do that through a local church. So we, we talked about this a lot on the week we talked about serve, that we're all part of a body. Each one of us is individual and we're called to do, uh, to be about his work. And that without me, the body's not complete. Without you, the body's not complete. But he's called us all to serve in ministry. And I say today that um, that there are no, there's no lone, there are no Lone Ranger Christians, okay? No Lone Ranger Christians because God has called us to be together, okay? And then number five, we've called to reach others in Jesus' name. To reach others in Jesus' name. And you know, as I've been reflecting more and more about this, it's not just reach others in Jesus' name; it's extend the grace of Jesus. Extend the grace of Jesus so that others want him, so that others want him. And so that's what he's called us to be. Those are the five, as we would say, purposes of our church. And from you know day one, this has been who we are. This has been what we're pursuing. This has been where we're going. And this is how God has allowed us to build our church. And we give him all the credit. For what he's done because he just gave us the marching orders and we did what he said and now he's done the rest okay so here's what we have to remember though i want to give us the the memory point as we go forward before we go to the backside of the notes the key to remember is this and please don't forget it we're all in process we're all in process i am in process you are in process and therefore We can be kind to ourselves about where we are. We don't have to beat ourselves up about where we are. And we can give grace to others about where they are. Well, you have to remember that every person in this room is in process. Every person in this room has a level of understanding. They've had life experiences that have brought them to this place. That they fight through and that they are trying to organize and to overcome. And that as together that we are helping us all take steps to move forward. We're all in process and no one has arrived, okay? Turn to your neighbor and just say, nobody's arrived yet, okay? (laughs) 
No one's arrived yet. No one has arrived. Not one of us. Not one of us. And so what we have to do is look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul is writing and he says this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Circle that. Has begun. And so what he's saying here is the same thing that happens with childbirth. Is that when your child is born, your child has, it's a new life. It has become a new life, and that is begun a life now. And that's the same thing that happens with every person who says yes to Jesus Christ. See, some people read that verse and they say, well, Paul's saying that we have already arrived, that we should already be perfect. But that's not what Paul is saying there. See, now you've entered into the beginning, the beginning, okay, where now you get to be. Come like Jesus Christ as you work together with him. So we have to remember that, and we have to give each other grace, because Paul says in Romans 8, 29, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's going to, as we talked about last week, Pastor Mark did a great job with the a video we watched last week about the chisel, and that the chiseling process is a lifelong process as he chisels off of us so that we can look more like Jesus Christ. But that is his goal. That's his goal. Okay. So I started with someone asking, you know, giving me a statement about our church. And now this next part comes from uh, an appointment I had. About a week ago, uh, I had what I would call a pastor's dream appointment, okay? And so a woman came to my office. She said, I just like a spiritual checkup. And based upon what she'd heard, because she had just heard the message on serving, and uh, she asked what any pastor would love to hear. Okay, she asked this question. What can I do to help my church? What can I do to help my church? And I love that question. I, I loved it so much that I like to ask you to humor me. And will you ask it with me? Okay, so here we go. You can ask the question right now. What can I do to help my church? I'm glad you asked, okay? <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to talk about how you can be an engaged part of what God is doing in our church. Here's how you can engage in such a way that life transformation happens more regularly in you and how you help our church to be about building God's kingdom so that transformation happens more regularly in others too because of your impact and your effort. So I'm just going to give you a list of things that would be helpful now that you ask what you can do. Uh, and the first one is to pray intensely. Pray intensely. Last year, our prayer ministry took off as we have people who are fired up about praying. And I wrote to you a couple of weeks ago, we have a group that prays every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, right down in our children's ministry section. If you want to join them, I believe they're in room 140. And they pray for our church and our nation. They pray every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. We have our new prayer garden, and you can go out there anytime. And if you want some instructions, I believe that you can turn on the fountain, and you can sit and listen to the water run and lights if you wanted to come at night, and you can sit there and you can pray. But here's, you know, we talked about prayer a lot in our church family over the last couple of years, and, and what I've confessed to you is that in my prayer life that oftentimes I'm lacking intensity. And what I've said to you is if I really believed what God said about prayer, then I would be intense. And so what we want to do is we want to say intensely because we believe that God has called us to pray and that he answers prayer that we as a church are going to pray together. Now, 
I left one off that I really think is important. So Denise, just leave that one there. And so we'll just, if you'll write at the side right now, read reflectively. This is what I'm going to ask you to do is read reflectively, okay? I don't know how I left that off, but it did. And yesterday when I was writing my message, I'm like, oh, no, I left this off, and it's so important. But recent studies have shown that what helps a person to grow, to take steps beyond where they are, is not just Bible reading. You know, we tell people to read the Bible. We have our Bible reading plan. And if you read your Bible, then the kind of the promise is that you're going to grow, that you're going to change just because you read the Bible. But here's what, you know, what studies show. It's not Bible reading that changes a life. It's Bible reflection. It's engagement with your Bible. Now, I don't know how this happened because, you know, I, you, know, you know, guys know my story. If you want to come to 101 class today, you can hear more of it. And I was way outside of church, way outside of God's will way outside of my kind of educational system. I wasn't a reader. I wasn't a writer, any of those things. And then when I came to know Jesus, I remember my pastor saying to me that I needed to read the Bible. But he said, don't just read it. Journal what you read about it. So, you know, when I was like 28, I started reading and journaling. So I know that if I can do it, anyone can do it. And so I just invite you to make it walk with God, if not daily, you know, weekly time at least, where you're sitting down and you're going to open up the Bible, you're going to read until you hit a speed bump, which means Holy Spirit speaks to you, and then you take that speed bump, what he said to you at that moment, and you go to your journal and you write that verse down, and then you reflect and ask God, now God, based upon what this said that I felt you were saying to me right now, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond? And you read reflectively. I'm asking you to do that. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to worship passionately. I'm going to ask you to worship passionately. Now, we teach a lot that worship is our life, and there's no question that all we do is, uh, can bring honor to God. But worship is also what happens when we come here together, okay? And so your engagement level was very high today. It was awesome. Awesome as we engage passionately together. And I just say, our teams put a lot of prayer and a lot of work and a lot of preparation and a lot of practice to make sure that our corporate experience from the time that you enter the parking lot until the time that you leave and exit the parking lot is as excellent as possible. Excellent as possible. So we do everything we can to make sure our environments are excellent and our experiences are life-giving. So that while you're here, you have an opportunity to hear from God and experience him at a deeper level. While you're here, you want to engage. And hopefully over time, because for some folks, what we do inside of here when we start the service, and it's called singing, it's just not comfortable for some of us, right? How many of you say that you love to sing? Raise your hand. How many of you would say you hate to sing? Raise your hand. <laughs> Tease me. My family hates it when I sing. <laughs> and that's the truth. <laughs> oh, but what I, what I, just wanted, I want you to think about this. And, and as you come into our corporate gatherings, worship experience, I want you to think about how do you respond at a concert when you're wanting one more song? How do you respond when you're at a sporting event and your team scores or the defense stands up? How do you respond when there's something unexpected, like you open the mail and there's a check? 
Yeah, yeah, you, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, see, what God wants is he wants us to respond to him with enthusiasm and passion. God wants us to meet with him, and he doesn't want us to come in and, mm, oh, right here, God. You know what he says? He says, shout to me. Shout to me. I am God, and you are man, and I love you. So shout praises to me. So I'm just going to encourage you. We'll be the shouting church, okay? There we go. It's already started. <laughs> what am I unleashing, Dave? But let's make it our practice to worship passionately, okay? Because, you know, when people see folks who are passionate, they're drawn to them, not the other way around. So let's worship passionately. Next, connect relationally. Connect relationally. See, life change primarily occurs when I'm in community. There's a social dimension to transformation that I just can't ignore. There's a dynamic that happens when people meet and share their lives, when they are willing to become accountable to one another, when they're willing to pray for one another, when they're willing to study the Bible together. And it's in community where we're able to live out the 58 one another's that are listed in the New Testament, love one another, forgive one another, care for one another. And why is that so important? Because Jesus says the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. So we connect relationally. Next, give generously. Give generously. I'm not sure you wanted me to answer that one, but give generously. See, folks, I just want you to know that as you, as you just understand our church, our church is only able to do what we can afford. We're just like you. We have income and we have expenses. And we have to make sure that our income equals our expenses. And so if our expenses are more than our income, then we have to make cuts in our expenses and what is going on. And so I just want to encourage you that as you give, then our church is able to more fully carry out the ministries and the mission that God has called us to do. I mean, nothing that we have was free. Nothing. There's not a government subsidy line that we can go to and we can say, we're a church, please give us like a building. It just doesn't happen that way. This place is here today because at a certain point, men and women went before God, listened to him, and gave sacrificially so that this place could be here with names written on the concrete of people they were praying would know Jesus Christ. And I just heard stories last week about someone who gave their life to Christ and they were able to talk to them because their name was on the floor of our building floor of our building, but it is here because we are willing to give. And so I just want to encourage you to give a percentage giving. You've heard me talk about this a lot. Don't just give amounts, give percentages, and then you just look at where you are in your giving and say, God, I want to move toward this percentage. Kind of the, the baseline would be about 10% to say, this is what I want to give. And I'm asking you to give generously. Next, invite winsomely. Invite winsomely. Graciously would be another word you could put down there if you're not sure what winsomely means. Graciously. See, I'll just say this. People will come to our church if you invite them. 
So just pray and then make winsome requests of people, invite them to come to church. So why do we want people to come to church? Well, because research says that 70% of people who are followers of Jesus Christ made their decision in a service. 70% in a service. That's why we want people to be in church. So they have the, the likelihood of them saying yes to Jesus Christ is higher than if they, if they were here than if they were not here and hearing about God somewhere else. And so you, you have flyers in there. I just want to encourage you to use those to invite folks. Um, as I said, just read the back of that flyer. And when it talks about words like, you know, over-engaged and stressed and exhausted, just think, do I know anyone like this? Oh, you do. Okay, so invite them next Sunday for our friend date. And lastly, surrender completely. Surrender completely. Not to me, not to Twin Cities Church. I just ask you to surrender completely, to be as committed to the great commandment and the great commission as Jesus is. I was asking a lot. He gave his life for it. He gave his life for it. To be as committed as he is. Surrender your plans, your dreams, your relationships, your stuff, your retirement, your college choice, your kids, your heart to him. And when you do that, you'll become more of what he made you to be. Now, some of you here, are, you're already fully engaged. And you're sitting there going, I can't do anymore, Ron. And I'm saying, I'm not asking you to. A person came to me who wasn't fully engaged and said, what can I do? But some of you are marginally engaged. Some of you are barely engaged. Some of you aren't engaged at all. And what I would ask you to do today as a result of our time is that you would look at the list that I gave you and say, okay, I'm going to take this step in getting engaged with my personal faith as I'm living it out in community with other followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to end with a little bit different way than I thought I would end, and it it just comes from some wrestling I've been doing with God and uh, just listening to him. And uh, this, uh, I've been living in this section of 2 Corinthians in my personal time, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 through 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And just kind of meditating on those verses and reading them. And uh, the 2 Corinthians 2, uh, those verses there are for you. Uh, I, I want to end by reading those. And just talking and commenting just a little bit as to why we're going to do that. Okay? Get through them. Paul says this. Thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Would you go back and circle the word captives on your notes? Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. So what I want to leave us with is this thought, is that 
and where God has been working in my heart. He's stirring something in me that says that what God wants from me is more than me just doing church for Jesus. He wants more than that for me, just doing church for Jesus. So just know, if you hear me asking that today, because of what I know he's doing in me, I'm not asking that, and I believe God's not asking that from you either, that you would do more for Jesus. What I believe that God is asking from me, and then I would just say into our church, is that we would do more with Jesus. That we would do not life for Jesus, we would do life with Jesus. And then what Paul says there in those verses is he says that when you're doing life with me, when, when you're doing life with Jesus, as you're walking with him and you're relating to him and you learn to acknowledge his presence more everywhere you go in all of life, as you've learned to know Jesus, as you've learned to be with him, and it takes work, folks, because our minds are going everywhere except where Jesus is most of the time. And we learn to be with him. That what happens is, is that as I see him more and more for who he is, and I experience more and more from him the love that he has for me, that what happens is, is just like in my relationship with my wife, is that I grow more in love with him. I grow more in love with him. And my mentor uses this word. He says, here's here's the word. He says, you become enthralled with Jesus. Enthralled with Jesus. So much that you love him and you see him and you embrace him. And then as you learn to be enthralled by Jesus, you no longer are doing life for Jesus. I'm just telling you, folks. If you're doing this for something, it's going to burn you out. It's going to burn you out. It's going to leave you empty. That's why we're doing this next series on Simplify. But what Jesus calls us to do, he says, I want you to do it with me. With me. And you know what? Sometimes with Jesus may mean less, not more. Sometimes with Jesus may mean stretching out beyond anything I could have ever thought I could do. But I'll do it because I'm enthralled for him. And ultimately, I mean, what I would call the ultimate would be there may be a day where you have to die to self. You have to die, even personally, give your life. But you'd be willing to do it because you are so enthralled with Jesus. You're so captivated by him. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Just wrap up with this verse. In Ephesians 5, he says this. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That's his call, to live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus, being enthralled by him. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So as he was a pleasing aroma, as we love him, we become a pleasing aroma to God. We become a pleasing aroma to those who are coming to know him. That's the call. So you want to fill in this last blanks. It says this. Engagement leads to a heart captivated with Jesus. Captivated with Jesus. You might even write enthralled there. Enthralled with Jesus. 
as we follow him and surrender, surrender now, to his plan for transformation. To his plan for transformation. And that's what I'm calling us to. That's what I believe God is leading us to, is that we would be engaged. And as we follow him, we surrender more and more to him. And as we surrender more and more to him, we become more and more like him. Transformation. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for this time that we can be here. And, and I know that uh, there's that you know, list there of things, and that can seem overwhelming. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that it's received as it was given. That's with grace and just knowing that everyone's in process and understanding and it's up to Holy Spirit right now to do the work and speaking. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask now that you would speak to every one of us and you would show us what's our prayer life. Do you want us to pray more intensely, read reflectively, worship passionately, connect relationally, give generously, invite winsomely, surrender completely? And Jesus, I thank you for our church, and I pray now that as we come to our point of offering that you would help us today just to remember that we are, in, just as we invest our time here, that you call us to invest our treasures here in what you're doing and what you want to do through our church and through our church family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.